Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 61, International Break Edition. We have the full crew back here for a second week in a row. Martino Puccio here speaking alongside me, Pepperisha, and Matt Santangelo. Gentlemen, how is your terrible international break going? Terrible. Terrible as usual. I mean, watching Gareth Southgate teams has become terrible. Uh, Kosovo lost in the Euro qualifying against North Macedonia uh, without three of their best players. So for me, all in all, I mean, terrible is probably an understatement at this rate. But would you take it if, if City lose to Arsenal this weekend? Easier, easier to swallow? Uh, yes, it would be easier to swallow. Okay. But, um, I mean, it's, it sounds like they might not have a striker, KDB, or maybe not Sterling. So it might be our best chance for a while. Oh, definitely. Uh, Matt, how about you? How's your international break? I'm not a huge fan of international break to begin with. Um, but there obviously was a notable match that I kept my eyes on, of course. But Italy, Poland ended 0-0. It was a pretty boring game. I, I wasn't, Terrible. I guess, I wasn't really too much of a fan of the starting 11 that Mancini put out there. So it went 0-0, Awful. a couple of missed chances from Chiesa. And that was pretty much it. So I kind of just lost interest at that point. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Um, I'm not a fan of international breaks unless it's major tournament qualifications going on. So if it's Euro qualifiers, I'm cool with it fine with the world cup qualifiers but when you get italy versus moldova and just an international friendly it couldn't be more useless considering everything going on with these condensed schedules and all that stuff so for me for me i'm not a fan of it um but let's let's get into everything that's been happening and the major news that really broke this morning is the biggest athlete in the world and cristiano ronaldo has tested positive for covid-19 mm. um obviously we know the whole issue surrounding Juventus and Napoli's match that was seemingly postponed where Napoli didn't show up due to all the positive outbreak tests after their match with Genoa. He goes on to play with Portugal. They played against France. We, we saw the whole interaction with Kylian Mbappe, Pet, and he's tested positive. And just yesterday, he had a picture of him um, dining with the whole Portuguese squad. Yeah. So, I mean... As of right now, we don't truly know to the extent of, of what he's had or who else he's infected and what it really does for an impact for the rest of these matches during this international break and what's going to happen within the next, you know, 10 to 14 days for him. Um, I mean, what do you think of this whole situation? Because right, right now, it's one thing when, a, when, you know, a rotational squad player like, you know, your fourth or fifth center back gets it. You know, it's easier to swallow for everyone involved. But now when the biggest player in the world and most popular player in the world has it, this is a major issue for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's very easy for people to sensationalize everything nowadays. I think that happens a lot on social media. You know, there have been big players who have got it. Uh, Paolo Dybala... Yep. Paul Pogba and big personalities in football like Mikel Arteta. I think that was Ibrahimovic just had it. So I think we've seen big players get it. And so there's not really that shock factor. What I will say, if we put the context into it, is that when you think about these international games that have gone on, some of them friendlies, some of them Nations League games, which, you know, we saw a lot of ball, zero, zero draws, (laughs) not that many people cared about. I think it's worth thinking about kind of like the priorities of the game. And, and, and at the moment, they're domestic. Unless you're qualifying for a major international tournament, the 
priorities there are domestic. And so Juventus must be turning around being like, well, you know, we've just lost our best player for 14 days because he's gone away with his national team to play some pretty pointless games. And uh, I think it's worth kind of reconsidering. I think, you know, there's not been made enough about how many international breaks we've got this year. We have one at the beginning of the season. We have one in October. And then is there another one in November or is it December? Yeah, November November is going to have those final rounds of qualification for the Euros. So all those teams who just advanced over the past week are going to be playing for that spot. Um, so, I mean, at least you have those, but... So, so yeah, but are those? But is every is all the international teams going to be playing? Like, is it going to be just strictly like maybe like a break? Well, maybe that's what's that's what's going to open up the conversation here, right? If it's unless it's essential teams with something to play for, as you guys mentioned, maybe those clubs not, or those those teams are going to go on break, and then the other ones are going to get like a week or two off. Uh, we have to. But also, it's, 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 it's the same layout. Could so, could, these, could these have done been done in March? Like, you know, could some of these games... Well, well then then it was so fresh with the outbreak, we had no idea mm. at that point. Sure. Now, there's things you could have easily... No, 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 canceled. no. Next, I'm talking about next March. Oh, no, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Agre- why, yeah. why... Well, they have to speed up World Cup qualifying. Well. Gonna be then. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, the Premier League season is being played in however many months, fewer than it should be, right? Like, so everyone's going to have to bend over a little bit to, to kind of um, cater for what is uh, the biggest thing that's happened in the world since world war ii right this is the um this is really really big and uh some international friendly shouldn't be kind of like pointlessly being played and i I think with you know travel and mixing with other groups i think domestically why teams have been able to cope with it really well and this isn't just because of like rapid uh, access to testing and uh, you know that accessibility and players being tested on a weekly basis or every three days whatever it may be it's because apart from opposition teams they don't really mix with anyone else like there isn't loads of press coming into the grounds etc cetera, etc cetera. I think there has been uh, not bubbles created but people have tried their best to kind of concentrate where these players are um at least in their workplace, being um, exposed to things. And I think when I think about what's happening with international football, and I tweeted this, I was like, well, you know, Ronaldo comes from the Juventus squad. He joins his Portugal squad. He plays against France. They're all very huggy. Mm. Like you saw after the France game, a lot of these French players are in the 17 to 27 bracket where a lot of these guys would have idolized Ronaldo when they were younger. Um, They all want to get a photo with him. They all want to give him a hug and a kiss on the cheek, etc. Then you have the problem where Pogba, um, Mbappe and Kamavinga all go to their respective clubs in two different countries and three different cities. And suddenly you're like, well, shit. Like then you start to understand the yeah. why it's so bad, why this isn't a good idea. You also then, kind then, of tie it back to the Napoli-Juve game, right? Because I think that was more of the, one of the more complex situations in, in this is that, you know, all it takes is a couple people in a batch of players on a field for this thing to be spread. And obviously we all know how bad Italy was hit with this thing. So I think it's, it's with these positive tests, with the way things have kind of shaped up the past couple of weeks and they just the initial restart uh, or the initial beginning of the seasons domestically, I think that's going to open up the conversations for the big governing bodies to reassess how they go about planning these upcoming matches. Maybe we see some movement um, with the international games. Maybe they make it into like a bubble format where the teams that have to play for something 
you know, in the Euro, you know, the 2020, like the final round of qualifications and things like that, maybe they kind of work into like a bubble format because you can't have players going to all parts of the world playing so it's going a, here, it's going a good there, thing this and then coming Euro back is going to be and, in one country, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's 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 in multiple countries throughout the continent, and just and just one thing yeah. again. So so looked it up. So Italy, for example, right? They have the three matches again coming in this November break. They have an international friendly against Estonia. Why hasn't that been canceled yet? That should be canceled already. There isn't a more useless game that you could possibly play. Then they have their Nations League games against Poland and Bosnia that that you have to wrap up. Like those again, just punt them. Just put just put them in at a different time period. All all that should be playing now are these four final matches to get those Euro twenty twenty qualification spots. That's it. That's all they should be doing. Because we also have to worry about these Champions League and Europa League games coming up within the coming weeks as well. So it's not even like we're just talking about domestic league games that are going to be played in the Premier League and La Liga and all these other leagues. We have to worry about these inter, inter, um, international tournaments as well for UEFA. And, and you know, it's just at a, at a certain point, it's just so ridiculous that you have to minimize all of this. And it doesn't even seem like they're being proactive about it. Pet. And this is, this is just where the frustrating thing comes in again, where it's just like, if you don't be proactive now, you're going to lose more later. And, and the more you lose later, you're going to have to make up for eventually. So if you just play it cautious now, you're not going to have to worry about it later. And that's the head-scratching thing that's going on. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't know why there hasn't been a decision yet. I, I mean, I know, I've heard there's rumblings of canceling some of these other games that are going to be partaken on, on Wednesday and, and all that. But, I mean, it should have been done already. It, I just don't understand what the thought process is. Yeah, I mean, overall, above and beyond, I think football will kind of continue. I don't think there'll be cancellation of leagues for, for certain amounts no. of times. Uh, I think games might get rescheduled and postponed and stuff. Um, but I think at, at some point, you know, um, these clubs do have to function uh, just as any other businesses do. And, and that doesn't mean taking advantage of that fact, like, going on international tournaments or going on tours or uh, players going to, you know, Dubai training camps or whatever. Um, but like actually playing competitive matches, I think it's something that's going to continue. But I mean, the, the Ronaldo thing, just going back to it a little bit, like it is, it is definitely one of those things that happens and people do pay attention more than even if it was a, a Paul Pogba or a um, Dybala or a Zlatan Ibrahim, because I think people will often forget like Ronaldo's brand. This is the biggest athlete ever. You know, this is like mm-hmm. Usain Bolt and, and Messi and LeBron James in terms of following combined. Like this is how big this guy is across the world. And, and people really tend, tend to forget that. They also, they always talk about kind of, oh, Ronaldo versus Messi, he's the best ever. Blah, blah. But like when you talk about Ronaldo's brand, it is it doesn't transcend football in the way maybe Dan- David Beckham did uh, or maybe a few other very lucky players. But in terms of in the athletics world, like this is the biggest it's ever been. And for him to get COVID, I think, you know, and I'm sure he's, he's completely fine. He might even be completely um, symptomless, but that's not the point. It's more that like people suddenly realize it's like, well, oh shit, if Ronaldo's got it, then, then anyone can get it. And I think that kind of self-perpetuating um, thing happens and, and, and people might get worried again. But, uh, I, I, you know, personally, I think football will, will continue. 
Yeah, um, they, they have no choice at, at this point. They took a few months off. They have to get in everything as soon as they can. So we'll obviously see that transpire within the coming weeks and months, obviously. But in terms of actual football, we've had um, those Euro 2020 qualifications that we were discussing. Um, unfortunately for you, as you mentioned, Kosovo uh, got eliminated for that. So we are down to eight teams that still need to qualify Um for the Euros, uh, Georgia versus North Macedonia, Hungary versus Iceland, Serbia versus Scotland, Northern Ireland versus Slovakia. Those games are going to be on uh, November 12th with the next international break coming up. Um, is there is there like a certain team that you want to see absolutely make it out of all, all of these? Um, I, I think it would be great to have Iceland back in it because they were <laughs> such a great story in the last one. I know you're not obviously going to be the biggest fan of them, but uh, just – just simply them being um, a nation that's that small and, and being that productive, again, making it to, to a second year, it doesn't even matter if you have all these teams uh, post uh, the amount that they used to have. I know it expanded, but it's still great to see. Um, I don't know. And then even Serbia, Scotland, I think it's always nice to see Scotland advance, but a player like Milinkovic Savic uh, playing in a tournament like this is a must, in my opinion, the, the better, the more, great players that you could have in a tournament like this. I think it's better off. That's why it kind of sucked to see uh, Erling Holland not be able to play in, the, in yeah. this uh, competition. But I don't know. Just give me your general thoughts because I'm, I'm just ready to see a major international tournament again. It's just been too long. Yeah, well, I'm, I think it's probably going to be without fans um, unless they do it in a bubble-type situation as the uh... – the NBA finals was done or in a country where fans already allowed back like Germany or France. Um, I think it's going to be done without fans. So that's, I guess, going to take the sugar coating off it. But of those teams, I think in terms of talent, um, Serbia probably have the most talented squad. Uh, I mean, Milinkovic Savic was outstanding in their games over the international break. He scored a couple of really, really good goals and basically led his team into this kind of final playoff game. Um, I mean, I'd love to have as many of the home nations from a Great Britain perspective or UK perspective as 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 many there, because uh, I think it always makes for good TV and good atmosphere here in the UK. But again, with COVID, I don't know if that's actually a thing. I, I mean, Iceland just just to you know, they play terrible football. So whilst the story is nice, the football they play is just horrific. And um, if you ask me, hey, would you rather see like X team who play okay football or Iceland go in just because they you know, have a nice story. I don't know. I'd probably choose the team that play better football. Yeah. Um, Matt, any, any comments on, on this uh, stuff before we uh, move on from, from this topic? Because obviously like at the end of the day, these, these teams aren't going to be the ones that are going to be competing and making him. By the way, England's still favorites by, by sports books to win Euro uh, 2021. So. That's just crazy. Like, how can you not, how can you look at the teams that Gareth Southgate has selected um, in the last international, two international breaks and be like, yeah, they've got it. I mean, there's France. Uh, it's just France. It's just France. It's just France, I mean, basically. I, I, you know. how, you, how could you not? And it's everyone maybe else. They, and... uh, maybe, the, maybe the betting people are, are, have watched our uh, YouTube video between maybe. you and uh, Harry. They <laughs> saw Harry Brooks and said that. They kind of buy into the potential of this team and maybe at the time of... Well, yeah, but if you if you don't consistently start your your best, you know, players <laughs> like Sancho and Trent aren't really even starting. Um, he's he's playing like 
three at the back consistently. It's, you know, it's weird. Let's, let's see what happens there. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll stick on to the topic of England and you got a fan petition going on, but <laughs> so obviously you can expand on this because you, you could speak to this better than anyone else. We know there haven't been fans showing up um, stadiums across all of Europe. And if they have been, they've just been uh, a small amount. We've seen it in Germany, Italy to an extent, a couple hundred. Obviously it's the total opposite of what we've been used to. Um, just kind of fill us in on, on everything that's happening there. Is this something that's going to actually transpire and we're going to see fans eventually fill into the stands within the next, I don't know, like what we'll say four to six weeks or so. Mm. Um, so yeah. I doubt it will happen in the next four to six weeks, I think, mm. just because uh, the UK's COVID cases are rising at double every seven days, which isn't great. Um, so I think the government has put in some measures uh, more regional rather than kind of like national to help stem that tide. And I think that they have to obviously wait to see what the hospitalization cases and stuff are like uh, before you can be like, okay, this is really bad again. What I will say is there have been loads of uh, concerts. I mean, we were talking about it offline before, like Arsene Wenger did a book launch and there was like two, 300 people there um, watching him speak in kind of like a theater. And the first thing I looked at and I was like, how is that being allowed during these times? And I think the frustration from fans with this let fans in uh, um, protest or uh, kind of whatever you want to call it is that it's it's neither here nor there in terms of what the government have, have set out, right? Like if you, if you can go to the theatre and you can go to the cinema and you can go to a book launch or you can go to a concert, why can't you go to a football stadium, especially when they're open air? And now, again, I'm not like a COVID officer and I'm only speaking from a common sense standpoint here. I don't know what the kind of health and safety things you have to have um, in place to allow people in a venue during a pandemic. Again, I want to stress that I'm not a scientist and I'm not an expert in any of those kind of health and safety regulations. But it does seem strange to me. And it seems strange to a lot of uh, big, big voices in football. I mean, Man United are behind it. The AFL are behind it. Big clubs are behind this. And I think that there is going to be pressure on the government to go either one or the other ways, if that makes sense. You either have to stop some of these kind of in-person gatherings or these concerts or whatever what's going on, or you have to let fans in. And, um, you know, from a purely common sense standpoint to think that if people are social distancing like they are in France and Germany and uh, in other countries where fans are being loud in and you know it's in the open air I mean I see little reason if these other things are happening why this can't yeah um you're you're right and at the end of the day people are getting more restless by the week and the hour, um, especially when this is carrying on for months and months. And honestly, it it is in college football, for example, over here in the, in the United States was just, just American football, but just university for those who don't know. Um, they, they've had fans fill up and they use the whole stadium, but they, they have everyone six feet apart or, um, and, and they just have their mask on and, and they go with the protocol, you know, they're able to allocate some of the money at least 
um, you know, just even if we're able to have, you know, like local pubs open up and just uh, just limit the capacity for the pub, have everyone sitting at tables, at least people can enjoy that. And, and you get some of those businesses to, to, you know, reallocate some of that money. But at the end of the day, um, it's going to have to be a slow integration, like everyone, like everyone knew it would have to be, right? You know, we can't just have, you know, uh, Old Trafford just fill up the full capacity in, yeah. in, within a couple of weeks. It's just illogical. There's just there's just no way that's going to happen without us going back to square one. So at the end of the day, the, people can sign petitions all they want. They could want everything their way, but logistically, it's just not going to work out. And and you know what? At the end of the day, there are going to be a lot of fans. You know, if you can get 10,000 people in there, they can make a lot of noise. They could, <laughs> you know, replicate some of that atmosphere because at the end of the day, they haven't been to a match in months. And so they're going to be bringing the most energy that they've had in, in years. And you know what? So if they could salvage at least some of that, kudos to them. Hopefully they could figure it out as best they can. I'm not too optimistic about all this stuff because because we're in – mid-October now and and we're still talking about this kind of stuff so at the end of the day Matt you have anything else um to comment on on this topic um, and yeah I, I mean I, I obviously we all want fans back and we've been just talking about this at length in previous episodes and even kind of monitoring this the entire um in the COVID files the COVID episodes if you will and I think the the ultimate end game is to eventually get to a position where if we can't have fans file in for these domestic competitions, at least let's get to a position where we can have a decent amount of fans enjoy a Euro, right? I think that's – because seeing a Euro international tournament this large not have fans would be just – for me, it would be just insane to see. I could not fathom that, right? And I think, you know, we obviously didn't get Euro 2020. It's Euro 2021. So uh, that's the hope. If we can get to a Euro where we can at least have limited capacity. Um, I know a couple of friends of mine who actually had, they, they had the, the tickets for the, for the, for the Euro, a, Pol- a Polish buddy of mine. And he was like, well, what's the deal here? What's going to happen with, the, with this tournament? Am I going to be able to go? Is it my mm. ticket going to be uh, you know, refunded? Is my seat going to be moved? And there's so many different things that are still under, uh, under review and in question. So, if we could get there, I think that'll be a, a, a compromise or a trade-off. But I think there are ways, um, and I'm not claiming to be the expert on this, but I think there are ways to safely get fans back in unlimited capacity to where we can feel like we're getting the normal type and normal brand of football that we all come to know and love. Yeah, Matt, I mean, I had a friend who was actually supposed to be going to the Euros and also uh, to Bali, Indonesia, in this year. Um, he was he'd lined it up for like the last nine to 12 months as his like big big year of like doing stuff Uh, and obviously neither of those things are happening and he's currently in Scotland spending that week off that he had instead of going to uh, sunny Indonesia so yeah thoughts with him (laughs) Um, the last thing we want to talk about is the proposed 18 team idea um, which has been kind of uh, rejected or no comment from the AFL over here in England, which is really weird. And to me, it seems like pretty much a power grab. I don't know how much of this you guys have read, but essentially what a a few Premier League teams want to do is to have uh, an 18-team league, um, which would apparently allow uh, £250 million worth of 
revenue to go towards the EFL and, and women's football in the UK. Um, one of the weird things that I read, uh, and I don't know if I've read this correctly, is that the top six teams alongside three other teams, I believe, or two other teams that have been in the Premier League a certain amount of time would get um, a certain amount of voting power for things that happen to the Premier League. And in fact, internally, if two thirds of that group vote on something, it happens doesn't matter if the rest of the teams agree or not, which I find really weird. They can also veto moves to owners, which I, I kind of don't mind, actually. I think, you know, the NBA does a good job of um, this, where, you know, if a player wants to move and the NBA think that it won't be good for, for competition, then perhaps they... Um, that was a, yeah, that was a rare instance. You're, I think it, you're referring it, to the Chris Paul trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, was, it, it, it there was no happen. ownership in New Orleans at the time. So the NBA owned um, oh, the okay. New Orleans Hornets. So they were technically the ones like, this isn't a good enough offer for Chris Paul. Oh, Just to offer some, some insight uh, behind it. So, yeah. Cool. Anyways, uh, my Paul uh, NBA history aside, <laughs> um, essentially, essentially, like, I, this just seems like more of a power move uh, and a power Absolutely. grab by the clubs that already have the most power. And, you know, if they could stop um, new owners coming in, then, you know, one of the sagas we saw over the summer was Newcastle potentially getting new ownership and getting out of the hands of uh, Mike Ashley, who's a fucking terrible owner. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> the, the team from Saudi that wanted to take them over promised to invest big. And, Whilst that might not be good for football in general in terms of kind of like, you know, buying your way to the top and stuff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think if you've got an owner like Mike Ashley who just does not care about football, what's better? Having like a Saudi team Mm. uh, who come in and I actually want to see the company first and foremost succeed, which will then mean that the on the pitch team succeeds. I don't know. I I found it weird and... um, it's just a weird, also a weird time for it to come out, you know, Um, during the pandemic, like big teams already have such a big advantage in the Premier League from a monetary standpoint that I don't really know why they have felt the need to kind of come out with this. Well, because the rich want to get richer. And I agree to to your point. So even even in Major League Baseball, I know I know you absolutely despise it, but my favorite baseball team. Um, this is what they do whenever the whenever there is they vote for a new owner to come into the league. For example, there needs to be an approved vote of twenty three of the twenty nine owners to approve a certain owner to join the league. So for for Newcastle's sake, right? It would only have been best for everyone else within the league to to approve this only because of a few reasons right you can you can go with the ethical and moral standpoints of this and and not wanting certain types of owners with that's a different entirely different conversation but if we're simply talking about financial competitiveness and the overall quality of the premier league is going to be that much better if you have another wealthy owner investing in a club like newcastle united which we've very well documented could is just one of those fan bases and one of those clubs that has the potential to be, you know, one of those household names, not only in the Premier League, but the rest of European football. And when you have that, that means the Premier League is better. And when the Premier League is better, that means more eyeballs and more fans over here in the United States. Just for example, more teams, uh, more people out in Asia, their eyeballs are being drawn to the Premier League, which means that's more money for them. And if the, if the overall value of Newcastle is raised, that means the value of Manchester United, Arsenal. That all mm. increases because that team is better. 
Yeah. And then with the 18 team proposal, this is just the rich getting richer at the end of the day. And I know this happened a few years ago too, as well with Serie A. The, the proposal was that even Adriano Galliani, when he was still there, wanted and Matt, you could, I don't know if you remember this or not. He, his idea was that the top teams in the league that generate the most views, the biggest clubs, for example, right? Like Arsenal, City, and all the top six clubs in the Premier League bring in so many eyeballs, they should benefit more from these TV deals simply because they're the reason why they want to um, watch the league in the first place. So if they're the reason that people are watching the league, their logic behind it is that, hey, we deserve more money there. And at the end of the day, they, they, they view the overall quality of the league will be better because there's less shit teams in the league, right? But at, at the end of the day, that's less TV games being aired because you obviously have the 18 teams opposed to the 20. So I understand where they're coming from with this. I wouldn't be shocked by it eventually, but pet, we wanted to talk about something else. And I, and I saw this too on Twitter (laughs) up in arms about, you know, there's always been issues with people trying to find streams and and being able to follow, follow the leagues. And I mean, this, this ticket situation, um, this is this is just a spit in the face. To, to this, is, this is crazy. I mean, you mentioned TV there and, and eyeballs and stuff and people being cooped up at home. And now in the UK, if they want to watch the team that they, they truly love, they're going to have to fork out £14.99, which is uh, equivalent to about, what, $17, $18 for you folks um, yep. per game, right? And, you know, I think people in the UK and, and in general are, are kind of used to paying for one-off big events, you know, a big UFC fight, a big boxing match that happened, you know, uh, a Mayweather a or, uh, or a Pacquiao fight, a pay-per-view blockbuster that happens, you know, once a year. Mm. But to, for me, if I'm an Arsenal fan, to pay £15 to watch Arsenal Burnley, like... <laughs> It's, it's weird, and, and, and they've gone for this £15 uh, thing, as I understand it, to kind of replicate fans paying for tickets in stadiums. But the issue is, it's not the same experience. And one level further, if you're paying £15, and look, if you're paying 15 quid and you're playing for uh, Liverpool Manu and you're having two or three friends over, I get it. And I actually am for in the future being more like personalized and selective about team uh, teams that you can watch and uh, games that you can watch. Cause you know, if you're a Burnley fan and you get a sky sports subscription, you're paying 70 quid a month, but you might only get one Burnley game every couple of months. So what if sky or these other streaming platforms could create more personalized packages? And I'm, I'm for that. And, but this is just a terrible first step in that direction. You know, like not only are you paying 15 pounds for watching teams with no fans, like it's not the same product it's not the same thing you're not paying for watching a foot a good football match with the atmosphere of you know an Anfield or a St James's Park with 50,000 60,000 fans roaring in there you are paying for essentially the um you know the surface level the minimum viable product of football that is what you're paying 15 pounds for and i think it's ridiculous like i mean i don't know how 19 out of 20 fa- uh, teams came and went you know that's a decent idea and i think also the way it was communicated was really bad it was like hey this is a great opportunity for you guys you can pay 15 pounds uh, a game but say if it was five quid or six quid or seven quid or whatever and the pr and comms around it was more look like there are teams that are really hurting in the premier league financially 
you know, to, to watch a game, to watch your team, to watch Southampton or Burnley who are struggling financially, you can pay six quid to watch any game that you want and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and I, I think, you know, communicating it in that kind of way would, would leave you in less of a PR onslaught, but what they've currently done, and I think they'll probably go back on it somehow. They have to, because they've been just lambasted. Um, I don't really know what more to say about it. It's just a terrible idea. I think I think with this too, it's like it's one of the things like he puts into perspective, right? I know obviously the size of the leagues and the exposure to the league is much different and, and definitely more vast when talking about Premier League to Serie A. But here in the states, I got ESPN Plus, and I think they had like a little bit of a recent up up to, uptick in the price from like I think four ninety nine US a month to like six bucks, right? But you get access to every I can watch every Milan game even if it's on actual network or I got to stream it. So to your point, I think I, I agree and I can understand where they're coming from in the sense that, hey, like, let's try and see if we can kind of generate some more money for the teams that are otherwise struggling a little bit more. But in that case, fine, make a personalized package. And I even think in that situation, like if that was how it was, um, I guess, presented to the fans, you would probably get a lot more people that say like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pay $10 to watch my team play out of like the goodness of their heart, but to kind of strong arm people to say, Hey, Oh, you're a Burnley fan or Hey, you're a Newcastle fan. Well, it's going to be $15 for this game. That to me is, is a bit odd. Like for instance, and when I kind of, and I like to kind of, you know, give the U S perspective on this, I'm sure Martino can talk about it more too. Like I'm a Red Sox fan. Right. And I obviously live in the Northeast. So it's like Yankees and Mets country. But if I want to watch a Red Sox game, I have to get the actual MLB package, which contains all the Red Sox games, but I'm paying for the other teams that I'm not even watching. So if you want to put it into perspective that way, you're saying, hey, we're going to release the Burnley package. It's $100 for the year. You can watch any game you want. You have a full coverage pre and post. I think you would get people who would sign up for that. Like if you've got additional Arsenal content that pre and post, like halftime coverage, you know, strictly Arsenal pundits and people kind of giving commentary and insight. Would you pay for it? Maybe I probably would in addition to, and I could kind of tinker or kind of get more customizing of the package. But this is just seems to me as like a shady businessman type presentation. Absolutely. Hey, you like football, right? $15. It's a great deal. Buy it now. That's how it comes off. And the way I see it, uh, (laughs) observe it through, through my lens. The other thing is, if you sport like a smaller team in the UK, mm-hmm. um, you might still want to watch Man City Arsenal this Saturday, right. right? But if it's not on TV or if there's a game like, say, I don't know, uh, Arsenal Everton or uh, Man City against Leicester that might not be on TV, but would be an a, appealing game to watch for the neutral because it's two, you know, top seven, top eight teams, attacking teams mm-hmm. playing each other. Why... You know, the 15th quid thing is crazy. And like, I, you know, the more I think about it, the more crazy I think it is. And I really wouldn't be surprised if, um, if anything is done uh, about it. But I mean, uh, I'm, enough ranting, I guess, Martino. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean, I have nothing left else to say on that topic. So we're just going to move towards um, some of the big game matches that we're going to view this weekend, hopefully, if they do carry out. Um so let, let's go with this because Matt's been awfully quiet. So we're just going to go with the Milan Derby, obviously. Um, that is something him and I are very familiar with. Inter, basically a ton of their guys have COVID. Um, we have no clue if this match will even um, start this weekend. So that is going to be something you obviously have to look out for. Ibrahimovic recovered from that. 
Um, Alessio Romagnoli is going to be in this match as well. We know how poor he does in these derbies, unfortunately. So for me, um, this is a huge test for, for Milan in general. We know they've been undefeated ever since the restart of COVID. They haven't lost that match um, since Genoa um, back in March prior to the whole break happening. So, Matt, obviously this is a huge test for them. Um, they've been playing well since the break return. They didn't really have that great of a competition. It's a really tough week. Inter, Celtic, Roma are the three matches that they're going to be having to play within a 10 to 12-day-ish span. So what are your predictions for this? What's the outlook um, for this? I, I think Milan can actually grab points from this, considering this is playing into their hand of who's absent from Inter. But considering the way they play in these games in recent years, and they haven't won um, since I believe it was Mihailovic was the last manager to uh, well, last one ironically them. I attended, which I'm still yeah. kind of a little a little bit pissed off at. And Milan for not giving me a season ticket for this just alone. But <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, yeah, when it comes to the derby, it's it's always you know, in derbies in general across across football. It's kind of like you kind of throw everything else out the window because you kind of feel like it's like for the most part, yeah, there's going to be maybe one team that's a little bit stronger and better form, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, it's two teams that just strongly dislike each other and there's no motivation that you need to kind of grasp for. It's already built in motivation because it is against a rival. But in this case, you feel as though that, you know, both these teams are in good form. There's a lot of positivity behind them and what they're trying to achieve achieve this year, excuse me. So you feel as though that this, if this was um, the time for Milan to finally, you know, you break that, that funk that they were in against Inter, it would be now, right? I think, you know, the last time they actually beat them um, was in a Coppa Italia, but it was domestically, it was the Mihalovic game that you're mentioning, Pat, I mean, excuse me, Martino. So, I don't know. I, I think I look at all the cases that come up with this, of the positive cases with the Bastone, Skriniar, and you know, on certain Milan players, Matteo Gabbia, who got it with the U21 duties. And I look at this and I'm like, leave it to Serie A to kind of let this thing linger on until like Friday before they actually make a decision. Because on one end, I think it'll probably go on because I think that's what we saw with the Napoli-Juve game, right? By By the the league standards and the way they were kind of we interpret it was if you have enough players, if you have 13 and plus a goalkeeper, then you can technically play. Right. And by all accounts, Inter and Milan are in that position. And there's no traveling play. issues with this. Right. So you assume that it'll go on, but if both teams mutually don't feel that it's the time to play this game, then maybe something is, well, a decision is made, but leave it to them to do it on the final day or 20 hour, 24 hours before the match is supposed to be played and then say, now nah, we're not playing this game and they cancel it or postpone it or whatever. But as far as the matchup is concerned, um, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Ibrahimovic back. You're going to have the performance he had um, in, in the defeat that Milan had last year against Inter. They were up 2-0 at, at halftime. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of motivation for Milan to kind of finish out their performances and they have since Pioli took, took control of the club, I think, roughly a year ago. So I'm excited. I hope it takes, takes place. Uh, I think it's going to be a very fiery uh, contest. And I, uh, I think Milan have an opportunity to, um, to, to salvage something from this, which I think would be a big uh, motivation, a big boost going forward, because this is, in my opinion, where their season begins. It's a great standard to kind of see where they stack up against Inter, but also the rest of the pack competing for top four. 
Yeah, um, because even then, after the victory over over Roma and and Juventus, like like the four two victory, at the end of the day, people were still a little skeptical of it, just because they didn't have Dybala and Delict in that game. So people were still kind of like, oh, whatever. It's like in the right. COVID the COVID stretch, so well, you can't take away too much from it, even though it was four goals and they completely outplayed them, um, and they haven't lost. Um, and even the Lazio game. Like even the Lazio, yeah, Lazio Immobile too. was out for that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they they were missing some guys, but at the end of the day, they were missing everybody against Atalanta, and they drew them one one. And right. they didn't have top guys against Roma. They won that two to one um, as well. So for so for me, I, I think this is a true test for them. I think a lot more people are going to take them seriously if they do manage to pull out three points from this. And honestly, I gotta say, Pat. It, the Teo Hernandez versus Hakimi matchup is going to be one of the most interesting and, and, you know, electric matchups this weekend across the whole, all of sports in general. And that's including all these American based sports because these are the two of the paciest and <laughs> most so offensive. Fast, man. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great because if one of them gets past the other, the other guy could just catch up to them. And that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say <laughs> because no one catches either of those players. So for me, that's the key matchup I'm looking forward to. And your boy Lukaku, you think he scores this week? <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, um, he looked he looked pretty good in the first half against England, and then basically didn't touch the ball in the second. Um, it's that kind of thing, though. Like where I'm maybe harsh on him is like he had such a dominant first half, and then Gareth Southgate makes one tweak where a centre back gets tighter on him, and he just can't play anymore that's it the game's gone from him um and yeah i mean i'm a a big critic of his uh (laughs) rightly or wrongly i think we'll only be able to tell in hindsight when his career's you know done yeah um so i guess we could give predictions for for this match if we if we wanted to real quick um if we assume this is played i I think it's probably going to play out knowing italy and, and how they operate over there so let's go with matt first what are what are your predictions for this Assuming uh, this one plays out and we obviously don't get any late entries and players that come back or have recovered from this, I think we're kind of not going to see any of that sort of uh, drama happen in the build-up to this. I can see this being a 2-2 final. Uh, I just think that there's going to be goals, uh, both teams defensively, although they've been – they have the personnel, as I, as I mentioned. You know, Inter have a great back line. Milan are getting Romagnoli back to Pova Cagliari, and that's going to be a really good uh, partnership. And uh, a welcoming return to their squad as, as, as he is the captain. I, these matches always tend to just have goals. Um, and I think, you know, with the players they have on display and the kind of magnitude of this match, I can see there are a little bit some mistakes. There's some opportunities that are present themselves and ultimately open the door for goals to pour in. So I think a two, two uh, result uh, would be a good result for both club, both clubs, given the situation, but I think it would be a really big boost uh, for Milan for sure. So two, two, I'm going to go with. Okay, Pat, you got any predictions for this? Um, oh, it's tough. I think, uh, huh, I actually kind of fancy Milan. Okay, Inter's missing a lot of guys with the, with the COVID cases on top of Sensi being suspended. So two I mean, one, two one, Milan. Okay, Arsenal over City. Arsenal City. Arsenal's uh, gonna be two. It wouldn't surprise me. City, City, City yeah, is the biggest no, letdown in all of Europe so far. Listen, man, Pets back in Milan. I got it back at Arsenal. Like <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. All right. So we got Arsenal win there. I'll say this. I think it's there's gonna be goals scored. I think. I think. I think. 
3-2 Milan. I, I, I truly do. I was leaning 3-1 as well, but I went 2-1. I was like, yeah, because be I don't trust Romagnoli's defense in these games. He can't. <laughs> he's a terrible matchup against Lukaku. Just like the, the athletic advantage, just he gets owned in those all the time. Um, but Inter can't really defend either. I think like it's, it's not really talked about enough on how poor they are uh, a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, we all have Milan taking away points with that. Obviously, we're going to um, tell you guys uh, to follow us on all of our platforms now. We have joined one new platform just as of yesterday. If you checked out our Instagram post, we have made a TikTok. Basically, I'm going to be running it, um, be putting up um, some of our headliners, uh, you know, sound bites of some of the episodes, top 10 rankings of, of players and all that stuff. We, we put up the first video was uh, no George Way is goal. We have we have over a thousand views in it, so you know we're climbing up over there. Go follow us on there. Obviously, you go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, the Facebook page. You can go like us, the YouTube channel. You go subscribe to that. Check out those videos. Obviously, see what England should be doing opposed to what Gareth Southgate is doing. Harry and Pet discuss that as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio, Matt and Pet. Uh, whoever wants to go out of uh, the both of you for your social media. Sure, I'll go first. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Um, just have a recent article that should be going out with the latest release of the Sky to Football Handbook. So make sure you guys go support them, support me. And Pet, send us off. Uh, at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A, usually slagging off Lukaku, um, COVID, uh, Arsenal. But very excited to see Thomas Barty play for Arsenal. Yeah, that should be exciting. Good luck to Arsenal and Milan this weekend. Everyone, thanks so much for all the support. And now, just listen to some more team.